This is the Seven Figures Podcast Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. All right, it is time for our weekly get together. If being here listening to the Seven Figures podcast is part of your routine, the minute you get the notification, you listen. I want to thank you. The goal is to have you walk away feeling a little more confident about your financial future, about your career success, because sometimes we don't move forward because we get stuck in our ways, right? It's probably safe to say that most of us have a routine and we hate change, just human nature. We feel comfortable doing what we know. So today, Mike McNamara, founder of Talent Boulevard, is going to kick us out of our comfort zone and we are going to love it because it is going to help us create that safety net for ourselves. So, Mike, thank you so much for being here. Sandy, my pleasure. Exciting conversation for me and I look forward to um, sharing today. And you are so wonderful. I do have to say that you said you were feeling under the weather and you're still going to push through and join us today. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Look forward to it. Okay, so now you have said that your career, not your bank account, could be your safety net. Before we get there, though, and have you explain that a little bit further, I want to learn more about you because you, my goodness, have such an impressive professional background. Higher management roles at Equifax, Cox Enterprises, Granger, now the founder and CEO of Talent Boulevard, coaching big name media personalities guiding multimedia and small business startups. I probably forgot a whole handful of stuff too. But I think it helps people when we learn about the story. What brought you to where you are today? What was life like before all this great success? Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the themes I think in my career, and and it's led to the success, um, was that I really didn't have a specific goal in mind um, when I was younger. You know, as a kid, I grew up in Detroit. Um, I was working in a car wash. So if you've ever worked in a car wash in Detroit in January, it's not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, there was a client that always came in. He drove a nice car, young guy, and would tip me really, really well. So finally, I had to ask him, what do you do? Um, how have you reached this pinnacle of, of success so young? And he turned out to be an attorney, a labor attorney, actually. And um, so I started down that road. I wanted to emulate um, this particular person. I went to the same school. I got in the same um, track in terms of education. But something um, happened along the way, and the, the wheels fell off the cart. And um, I ended up with a completely different career path. But I will say that uh, my career path was really just what what recruiters and talent managers call SOSs. I just looked for a series of successes and how one role could lead to the next and just continued to push me through all of the organizations that you just talked about, but in completely different roles across all of them. Um, I've done sales and marketing and general management and industrial engineering, um, just had a wide variety of experiences that really built a strong foundation for me in my career. So 
Growing up first, going back a little bit, did your parents have a lot of conversations about, you know, financial conversations or were were you guys well off? Were you very humble livings? What was what was your life like then? Yeah, very humble beginnings. Um, we never had financial conversations as a family. Um, the, you know, there's two sides, you know, my mother and father. One side was a family full of coal miners. Um West Virginia immigrants, um, and the other side uh, worked in the news business, and I mean delivering newspapers, not writing in newspapers. Um, so we had very meager, uh, from very meager beginning. Um, you know, I think the one thing that my grandmother said to me when I was really young um, stuck, and that was uh, emulate who you want to be, not mm. who you are. Ah. So um, I kind of applied that, and, and my parents applied that thinking to just about everything we did, whether it be finances or how we dressed or carried ourselves or our education goals. Um, it really propelled our whole family forward. Now, you said that you did, I mean, the gamut of careers. So you felt very comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, I can't even imagine jumping from one focus to another and how easily you did that. So is that what you mean when you say your career, not your bank account, could be your safety net? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple themes um, that are embedded in there. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm a big believer that our careers are like pyramids. Mm-hmm. And the wider and stronger the base, the taller the pyramid or the taller or longer the career. Um, so... I didn't. I really was just looking for the right experiences to broaden uh, my value, um, and I'm a big believer in dependency. So, you know, what is what's the dependency to having a large bank account? I think the dependency is being able to leverage your skills and talents to be able to um, accumulate wealth or or income. Um, so instead of focusing on the bank account, I always focus on my skills. Um, because I could take them, pick them up in the, my t- personal toolbox and take them to any company, find um, roles where I could add value and people would pay me significantly for those experiences. Okay. So rework, rework it. Think about the value you're bringing and the money will follow instead of exactly. chasing the money. And it's also your safety net. So, um, you know, for, for those of us that aren't um, young millennials, you know, remember a day when two planes uh, crashed into buildings in New York and changed mm-hmm. everything for all of us financially um, for years after that. Um, I, I think your skills create that safety net. So no matter what happens around you, there's always opportunity. There's always hope. Um, and you can always derive income and hopefully wealth at some point. In time. How do you get over the fear of leaving one company and walking into another, the unknown. I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. We may be stuck in a rut. We may hit our, you know, salary cap, but yet the fear of, oh gosh, does the grass look greener on the other side? Should I just stay put? Is a big hurdle. How did you overcome that? Um, I had a little help overcoming it. Um, I got fired from a company, and well, that'll I help, had, yeah. <laughs> and I had no choice. Um, you know, 
I was in my first role, our first organization, I had many jobs there, but um, and the the company was sold. My group was sold, um, and I didn't go with it. Um, I was offered a package, and I left. Um, there was no job left for me there. Mm. And, you know, the shock of that, uh, young kids, um, big mortgage, um, what I learned out of that experience after I picked myself back up um, is how to package myself uh, for the next role, for the next opportunity. And I just happened to run into a really good executive coach. Um, and he really helped me think about my life differently, um, about this building this toolkit and about being able to take your skills, make them transferable and go anywhere and do anything. Okay, so when you say that, with the evolving of technology and social media and the demands, um, sometimes it's uncomfortable, especially for us older people, when they ask you, hey, listen, this is this is your new task, you're gonna have to do social media or whatever it may be. And it feels like, what? I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't know what that is. I Do you, you're saying then, widen that tool belt, figure it out, don't run away from it. Keep evolving as an individual, too. It really is. And, and I think you've got to think about things that you know that are transferable to the worlds that you don't know. And ah, okay. So, you know, if I look at my social media and how I coach um, even multimedia um, and high-profile personalities about their social media, um, I believe that the way that you merchandise content is more important than the content itself. So what that means is if uh, you have some terrific content, um, whether it be text or video or some kind of graphic, if you post it and there's nobody online to see it, it, it doesn't matter. It's insignificant. It's the tree that falls in the woods and nobody hears because mm -hmm. sound because no one's around. Mm -hmm. So I was in a retail job once upon a time. I ran um, uh, sales and, and marketing for a large retail chain. And the way that we would merchandise the store is the same way you should think about merchandising your social media. All I did was take those skills and apply them to in different contexts and content. Um, when it rains, you put umbrellas on the end cap. When there's certain parts of the day that uh, your demographic is online and there's other parts that they aren't, you just have got to insert yourself into that world in the right way. Now, um, isn't it a challenge, ahead. though, because the algorithm is always changing? It really is. Um, and that's why you've got to, to really apply some tools to it. Um, you know, you've got to think about what, uh, the, what professionals are doing and, and how they're measuring their success. Mm. Um, analytics are huge for me. Um, I turned into be quite the math geek because uh, those logarithms and the analytics behind social media are super important. Mm. Um, it's so easy to copy and paste some HTML language into a web page or some, some online content and have Google measure everything for you. Um, so that's literally how I try and stay on top of things. Just this morning, I spent about a half hour or so looking at the last four days worth of hits on my website, where it was coming from, who was there, uh, what the demographics of the audience um, are and, and were, 
And today and tomorrow, I'll tweak my social media and my content um, to be more in line with those that are hitting my site. Okay. And now you're seeing this and speaking of this on, you know, as a business owner, but each individual, I strongly believe we should all be our own brand and be marketing ourselves constantly. You never know when you need to make that connection. Yep. Okay. And, and what, one of the faults of my clients and I coach to it um, every day really is about owning the brand and the brand is sometimes it's not a personality contest. It's not popularity. So too many times we look at how many likes or followers or retweets we get and we measure our success that way. Mm. I, I put, Sandy, I put content out that I know very few people will interact with, but it aligns with my brand and strengthens my ba- brand when they see ah, it. Okay. Okay. Right? So sometimes um, reinforcing your brand, it's not about how many likes or retweets. It's about making sure that your clients know what um, what your brand stands for. Okay. Where are your favorite spots to do this networking? LinkedIn, I feel like it's a great community. It's positive. You can really build up your networking skills. Do you agree? Is LinkedIn one of the top places that everybody should be? Yes. I, I, I think everybody um, from entrepreneurs to um, even media professionals, um, but those of us that have had sales or marketing or operations careers, we all need to be there. And it, it, it really is about setting yourself up for your future success. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to look at LinkedIn not as a resume of what I've done, but what you want to do and where you're going. Ah, okay. So, you know, I, I challenge, challenge my clients to connect with two or three pe- new people every day in an industry or marketplace that you want to be headed into or towards. Okay. Now, uh, speaking of LinkedIn, I have to address something that you included in one of your messages to me on LinkedIn when we were going back and forth setting this up. And I hope it's okay that I bring it up, but I find myself holding back from doing what you did. And I think a lot of people do in fear of being judged. But first, conversations like this one are sponsored by Family First Credit Union, a helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. We're talking with Mike McNamara, founder of Talent Boulevard. We've mentioned how impressive your history is, success, your career success. You work with the best. So the minute you give us the okay, Mike, we are going to start doing what we've been holding back from. When we were going back and forth on LinkedIn, you sent me an emoji. And I was like, (laughs) oh, my God, look at that. Is it okay to send emojis? Um, (laughs) I was like, ooh, he just broke down a barrier. Okay, I like that. My emojis are usually a thumbs up or a fist bump. Um, (laughs) There are no hearts. Um, There are no... um, Winks. So sometimes there's winks, but um, yeah, generally um, we're all busy, right? And sometimes an emoji uh, gets across what you need to do. You just need to know your audience and uh, and understand that sometimes people react differently to emojis. I loved it. I was like, oh, I feel closer to Mike now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, Sandy. I I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. So you gave us permission. So now feel free, anybody. 
you send an emoji to your boss, it is okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you know your boss, it is okay. Know your audience, right? That's, uh, that's the most important. Thing. Yeah. It is funny how things are changing. So let's stay on this theme of what's now okay. The resume. Let's start with the young millennial who tends to, you know, in their 30s, who tends to bop around, bounce around a bit with employment. When they are writing up their resume, should they include every job they've worked at? How is that perceived nowadays? Um, it depends. Um, that's what they teach you in business school, right, is the answer to questions like these are, it depends. Um, you just need to know what it depends on. And so with millennials, um, you know, there's a lot of us. If you look at my career, Sandy, my, I think my parents think that I couldn't keep a job. Um, <laughs> every 18 months, I was on to something else. And uh, I, I think the term millennial uh, gets used in the wrong context a lot. Um, I think those of us that have had many jobs, whether we're 25 or 55 years old, it's about um, making sure that that experience is applicable to where you're headed. Ah, okay. And if it is, it needs to be there. Um, someone will ask you about it if it's important. Um, they'll overlook it if it's not. I, I think the way that you present it is more important. You know, getting back to the merchandising yourself is more important than the content sometimes. Okay. And uh, I'm a huge believer in making sure that your summaries or your elevator pitches are right up front. Um, and then all of those experiences, whether they're two weeks or two years in length, support whatever your elevator pitch is. Okay, so help us out with this elevator pitch, just briefly if you can, because for that person who has an established career and hasn't written a resume in forever, but they have been you know, laid off or fired or whatever, they want to pivot in their career, how do we start our resume? Yeah, there's, um, I think you need to have um, this elevator pitch up front, some kind of summary, and then really focus on competencies more than experience. Mm. Um, so we want to make sure that our skills are transferable in a bunch of different environments. Because when you fill out that job application um, today, it, it's a company that might be different than where you're going tomorrow in the job, that job application. So how do you make a resume applicable to all of these different environments? And, and the answer is think about the skills and the competencies and focus on those more than I worked at Kellogg Cereal in the summer of 97. Um, it's what you learned when you were at Kellogg Cereal in 1997 that's important, not necessarily that the telling a story? Telling a story. You know, the elevator pitch is three parts. It's who I am, what I've done, and where I'm going. Okay. And um, that's the story that we need to tell uh, about, in our, about our careers and where we're headed. What um, tone do you feel is most appropriate? A very personable, like you're telling the story in front of them, elevator pitch, or the bullet point outline style, or the very professional I think you need to know your audience. Okay. Um, I, I prefer to read bullet points, um, so I write in bullet points. But I, I think you really need to know your audience. If you're in um, a media space or a marketing space, sometimes storytelling or visuals even are more important than, than those bullets. 
um, you just you need to know where you're headed and, and what the preferred method is. And also, I think what's super important is what's the authentic you? Uh, if you try and communicate um, in a style that's not uh, genuine or authentic, your audience will see that. They'll see it on a piece of paper and they'll see it when they're sitting across the table from you. Okay. Now, some people you referred, uh, we mentioned this earlier about networking and connecting with people. Some people are natural networking individuals. They just love starting conversations with complete strangers and they're very good at it. And then there's the very socially awkward people who don't know how to network um, either in person or on social media. Can you give advice to the socially awkward group of us? Because I tend to be sometimes too. I don't know how, like I know it's important to network online on social media, but sometimes I don't know how, and I don't think I'm alone. Right. I think you have to um, understand where you have commonality with, with your audience and really focus on that commonality. Um, you know, people that are 35 or 40 years old uh, have a lot of the same pressures and stresses in their lives that, that they share, regardless of where they are and what they do. My, my wife and I, we call it a our tired 30s, right, where you have this ginormous mortgage and car payments and a bunch of little kids potentially running out around. Uh, you might be a single parent. Um, people in that age group have a lot of common commonalities, and I think if you focus on those as a starting point, um, it's much easier to network. Okay. But you got to think about where you're headed and how you um, how you insert yourself into that that place too. So every conversation you have in a networking environment needs to bring some kind of value. You need to offer um, something to that other person that they can't find somewhere else or, or promotes their career in a, in a way that uh, is helpful to building your network. Okay. Okay. So now one of the goals of this podcast is to encourage people uh, to be more engaged with their finances because for a a lot of people, it seems intimidating and overwhelming. So if you don't mind that we pick your brain a little bit and how you run your personal budget, um, any financial mistakes or blunders you made along the way that we can learn from, that we can try to avoid, and how do you and your wife run, run the budget? Yeah, so the blunders, um, starting with the blunders, you know, I got caught up um, in – kind of a, the tech boom, the early tech boom in, in 2000. And um, I started day trading, um, thinking that I could make a lot of money. And uh, I did. I made a significant amount of money, but I lost a significant mm -hmm. amount of money as mm -hmm. well. And the <laughs> big uh, learning from that was understand what your horizon is and work towards your horizon. Um, you know, if, if you're building towards your children's education or your retirement, uh, you need to stick to that plan and, and have a plan and work that plan. Um, one of the things that my wife and I have learned, and we share um, our financial uh, responsibilities, by the way, um, and uh, what we've learned is that, A, you have to live within your means, right? That's, uh, that's first and foremost. Um, B, you have to understand what you really need. Um, you know, I've learned, we've learned to live with less. It's really kind of an interesting thing for us. Um, 
we sold a big house. We bought a small condominium. We, we learned that we didn't need the things that other people needed to be happy. Um, and we focused on those things as they fit our long-term goals, which were to retire early. Um, I'm in my I'm approaching my late 50s. Um, I've literally retired twice. Um, I, my wife says I really suck at retirement. Um, <laughs> and the reason I was able to do that is exactly what I've said is, you know, I understand how to live with less, what I really need for, for happiness, and um, set my financial budgets and planning down that path. See, I love that. I love hearing very successful people say that because the world assumes that you live this lavish lifestyle because you can. But every single guest I have on the podcast says the same thing. I live simple. What do I need? Live within my means and just appreciate life, right? It's not really the material things that you think will make you happy. It is not. Um, it, is, it definitely is not. You know, what What makes me happy right now in terms of my financial freedom is we had a plan to, to pay everything off. So no mortgage, no car payments. Um, we paid off all those reoccurring bills that, that we all have um, over the course of our life. And we did that by downsizing. We, you know, we drive seven or eight-year-old cars. In fact, my son's got like a 2015 something that is probably the newest car in the family. Um, and once we found that financial freedom, the rest of our life um, has been so much more colorful and enjoyable. Um, and it was all about just learning to live with less yeah. and taking our debt down. It lifts this huge weight, doesn't it? It gives you choices. It gives you opportunities. You're not stressing about how am I going to pay that bill? It's it a- absolutely does. I mean, it gives you choices in your career, which is, you know, what we're talking about um, today is if you don't have those financial stresses and, and um, responsibilities, you can go and do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Oh, you've been so awesome. Mike McNamara, founder of Talent Boulevard. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, will you tell us any of the people that you represent? Can you tell us the big <laughs> names? Or is that supposed to be confidential? Um, I can, Yeah, I can't tell you. Oh, but, um, darn it. I thought we yeah. were close. I thought that emoji brought us closer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're... Um, <laughs> My clients run from news people and news anchors to reality television hosts to country music to uh, television shopping networks. Um, it's people that we all see every day. And um, what's really interesting is they have all the same issues and problems that, that we have, but they seem to hide it much better yeah. when the little red light goes on. Right, right. Oh, well, all right. Thank you so much. How can we reach out to you? How can we learn more about you and, and follow you? So talentboulevard.com um, is a great place, as is mikemacnamara.com. Um, I'll tell you what's coming down the road for, um, for Talent Boulevard is we're building a community, um, an online community, where uh, people can exchange um, career ideas, 
and connect with others in, in the same field of business that they're in that can publish articles. Um, you know, one of the pieces of the success in my career is I published 150 articles around career management, career transition. And um, the future of Talent Boulevard is to create a community where others can do the same and we can all share. So look for that, MikeMcNamara.com, TalentBoulevard.com, and um, see if you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm all over social media. I have 50,000 followers and would love to have 50,000 in one. So um, please reach out. Awesome. Okay, go have some chicken soup. Crawl back into bed and feel better. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your inspiration, Sandy. Next week on the podcast, we are in November, so that means the stress of the holidays. We can feel it. The perfect gift to give your kids to encourage them to be more engaged with their finances. Thank you, as always, for subscribing and listening to the 7 Figures podcast. You have an awesome weekend. I will talk to you next week. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women. 